Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. His nickname is the Madman. He's a right-wing libertarian and has been embraced by Donald Trump. He just was elected the president of one of the largest countries in the world. So, who is Javier Malay? And what is Trump saying about that man's win right there? Plus, our president celebrating a new milestone? Is our government hooked on Elon Musk? And are the youngest voters up to something new? Come on in this Monday before Thanksgiving. Thanks for being here. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Chris Steyerwald, News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Bob Cusack, of course, the editor-in-chief of The Hill. Amisha Cross is a Democratic strategist and contributor to The Daily Beast. And Ford O'Connell, former 2020 Trump campaign surrogate and GOP strategist. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. All right. Hello. Happy Monday. Good to have you in. Have you heard who is celebrating today? And by the way, I, it's my birthday today, and they can actually sing birthday music. I just want you to know it's difficult turning 60. It's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, of course, President Biden joking today about his birthday. The president turns 81. It's a new record in presidential history, as President Biden is the oldest U.S. president ever to serve. Chris, there are... And hello to you all. Uh, private celebrations for the president this weekend. Nothing really public except that off-the-cuff remark. And that's not coincidental. No, you know, look, uh, Joe Biden's biggest problem is his age. It's not the economy. It's not Israel. It's not. Uh, those are all factors, no doubt. But if Joe Biden were not so elderly, uh, it wouldn't be a factor. He's not just the oldest president to ever serve. He's older than the former presidents, right? He's right. older than Bill Clinton. He's older than George W. Bush. He's older than Donald Trump. Right. Uh, and he shows it. And it's a pro- it's a serious problem. I think he's the third oldest president anywhere in the world right now, Bob. Listen, uh, yeah, I totally agree with Chris. I, I, I think, as David Axelrod has said, age goes only in one direction. You can't, unless you're Benjamin Button, you can't turn it around. Right. So, This is a problem. The polls show this. That's why a lot of Democrats want someone other than Biden. But honestly, it's too late. Chris has broken this down before. Deadlines are deadlines, and Biden's going to be on the ticket. And I I just don't see another way that Democrats may not be happy with him, but that's what they got. Amisha Ford, uh, the White House, asked about it today. Here is Corrine Jean-Pierre. We'll get your reaction on the other side. Our perspective is that it's not about age. It's about the president's experience. That's what we believe. And it's, you know, as they say, the proof is in the pudding, right? Does that play? 
Absolutely. With each birthday, all of us get a year older than we were the year before. Um, almost four years ago, President Biden was almost four years younger than he is today, as was all of us who were around four years ago. We knew how old he was when we elected him the first time. We know how old he is this go round. I think that the proof is going to be in the pudding basically around his policies and his policy agenda. The president has a record to run on. He's got the infrastructure uh, development package. He's got the CHIPS Act. He's got reducing the cost of prescription drugs, particularly insulin. We just heard before this segment a conversation about the use of things like Ozempic for people who are diabetic diabetes patients. Those are real wins. And this president knows that when he is out on the campaign trail and he's speaking to young people, he's speaking to black voters, he's speaking to the Democratic base, he knows the tone and the tempo to have with those people. So happy birthday to him. I hope that it's a great one. Also acknowledge that a lot of public events probably aren't happening because Thanksgiving is just around the corner. Joe Biden is not a fine wine and he ain't getting any better with age. Let's be totally honest. When they talk about experience and wisdom, you're talking about getting America in the two wars. You're talking about record high inflation. All those policies that you're talking about experience are not policies that are selling with the American people. And it's not just his age. It's his ability and his agility. He falls down. He has to take the short steps up to Air Force One. And frankly, he understands it's the only thing you can't spend. Are you instigating that President Biden got us into the war in Israel? Which wars are you speaking of? Because I'm talking speaking about the Israel, two, I'm talking speaking about the two wars? wars that America's currently engaged in that aren't using U.S. troops that are killing. It's a real fracture within your party when we're talking about President Biden Israel. had absolutely nothing to do with well, Hamas. Guess what? He is the, he's the commander-in-chief, and right now it's dividing your party. All right, so um, Donald Trump, we heard from him just a little while ago, uh, just so happens that he decided to release a letter from his doctor randomly on this day. And here's what his doctor says. Quote, his physical exams were well within the normal range and his cognitive exams were exceptional. This, this physical was taken on September 13th, but they wait two, two months to drop it to today, Bob. Uh, listen, that's strategy. That's campaign strategy. Obviously, it is obvious when you look at this letter. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, Joe Biden is not necessarily his age, I think, per se. It's his ability to be to talk off the cuff. Yeah. And obviously, the first debate between Trump and Biden uh, in 2020 went terribly for Trump. Honestly, right now, if you're if you're the Biden, if I was advising Biden, I would say, listen, uh, down the road next year, I would not uh, debate Trump. I think Trump would have a big advantage in the debate. Not debate him at all. Not debate him at all. Even Chris. more favorable than prior. That's the, the, even more favorable than prior testing. How good is how healthy is Donald Trump? It's even it gets only more favorable as we go. I agree with Bob. Um, the Republicans made a huge mistake by pulling out of the uh, compact on president commission on presidential right. debates. Uh, you, so he has an excuse. So he has an excuse, yeah. and uh, I totally agree. All right. Well, also at the White House today. A reporter asked the president about the release of hostages potentially being held in Gaza. Mr. President, is a hostage deal near? Sir, is a hostage deal near? Mr. President, is a hostage deal near? You believe so? I believe so, but I'm not prepared to talk to you. He was asked again, and he said yes. Joining us now, one of the top Democrats on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Congressman Brad Sherman from the state of California. Congressman, thanks for being back here on the Hill on News Nation. Thanksgiving week. You're taking out your time. Uh, we do appreciate it. Um, I'm wondering what you're hearing about a, a potential deal for hostages and and what that may or may not look like. Well, I hope very much that we have a deal. Uh, a humanitarian pause that lasted five days, I think, would be helpful 
but the release of those Israeli hostages is just critical. And uh, I think this also shows that uh, it, it made sense to insist that before there be this long a pause or a ceasefire, uh, that it be accompanied by a release of hostages. Uh, I think so you're for five day, a five-day pause of some sort? I think a five-day pause, in, in, if it involves the release of uh, scores of hostages, uh, is a fair deal for Israel. All right. Um, I'm wondering what's going on within your party, within the Democratic Party. For example, here was Senator Bernie Sanders over the weekend. He said, quote, the Netanyahu government or hopefully a new Israeli government must understand that not one penny will be coming to Israel from the U.S. unless there is a fundamental change in their military and political positions. That is conditioning aid to Israel, Congressman. Um, I know he's not a Democrat. He's an independent. But but we all know where he, he lies on a lot of these issues. What do you make of what the senator said there? Well, it's important to differentiate between earmarking aid, which we definitely have always done, and conditioning aid. We earmark this aid to be used for Israel's strategic defense, chiefly its Air Force. They're not supposed to spend the money on uh, soccer uh, stadiums or uh, domestic education. It's supposed to be spent for defense, and that's what it, it will be spent for. The other approach is to condition it, to say that the money won't be there unless Israel cha- changes it's other policies, and uh, I've always opposed that, and I think the vast majority of Congress opposes it as well. What, what's going on within the Democratic Party, sir? Because, you know, uh, Senator Van Hollen, I'll, I'll show you a couple headlines here. Van Hollen calls on Biden to, quote, speak more clearly on civilian casualties. Uh, Senator Blumenthal from The Hill calls on Israel, U.S., to release more intelligence on Gaza's Al-Shifa hospital. Just about an hour ago, 13 Senate Democrats wrote to the president today calling him for the need to protect civilians, sustained aid uh, and medical attention for the sick and the wounded. Is it just are, are Democrats here trying to move left and 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 satisfy the the left flank of, of the party? Democrats are always the party of compassion. We all believe in humanitarian aid. We all believe that Israel should take every effort to safeguard civilians We are all uh, uh, incredibly sad uh, to see uh, uh, so many Palestinian lives uh, snuffed out. Uh, And I speak of the civilian lives, obviously, uh, different when it comes to the Hamas fighters. And we are all incredibly sad to see the deaths of Israelis on October 7th. Uh, I think it is nothing unusual about uh, Democrats wanting to say, let's be careful and let's do all we can on the humanitarian side. But I guess the question is the focus shifting from... Israel winning uh, a war, we're in the middle of a war at, and, and eliminating Hamas at all costs versus, uh, you know, essentially not taking that picture, uh, not taking that position. The vast majority of uh, both the Republican and Democratic parties want to see Hamas snuffed out. But we want it done uh, carefully. We want it done uh, with us providing uh, food aid uh, and other aid to Palestinians. Um, and uh, and I think that can be done. I think Israel has done an outstanding job of weighing uh, with each uh, with each military action the civilian effect and the military effect. Keep in mind, when we bombed North uh, Vietnam, we never provided warnings. Uh, when we waged war against uh, Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan, uh, we never provided fuel to them. We tried to prevent right. them fuel themselves. So by uh, look, war is terrible. And uh, uh, those who want to see a humane world uh, don't want to see war. 
um, and, and a, even a war that's, that's waged according to the law of armed conflict is still a terrible thing. All right, Congressman, I have to leave it there. Congressman Brad Sherman, thank you for the time. Uh, we'll see you on back. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, Chris, before we move on, what you, would you hear there and what would you make of what we saw over the weekend here among Democrats? Uh, look, I think we've talked about it before, the intensity of the protests against Israel uh, the, and the virulence, the, the anger that you see there. I think we will continue to see a strengthening of support. I think that uh, Congressman Sherman probably is right, that the, the core group of support for Israel is going to continue to be there. All right. Well, Argentina, meantime, has a new president. Did you see this? The populist Javier Malay, an economist, former television personality, took the country by storm, promising his proposals would fix Argentina's broken economy. Now, Argentina dealing with inflation that is closing in on 150 percent. Malay's victory drawing comparisons to Brazil's Jair Bolsonaro and, and to Donald Trump. Ford, uh, there's a lot of, there are, are there parallels here, I guess is the question, because this is something, Donald Trump is celebrating this today. He's saying, uh, quote, con- congratulations, the whole world was watching. I'm very proud of you. Make Argentina great again. Well, I think what Donald Trump's celebrating is the fact that the Malay wants to cut the government by 15 percent. He wants to move from the peso to the dollar, which is very important in South America, particularly with Chinese Communist Party encroachment up and down Latin America and South America. This could be a very big t- turning point. But he's also a libertarian economist. I don't know, really see the comparison, <laughs> maybe other than the hair, that you're going to actually make towards Donald Trump. But that's what always happens. When someone doesn't agree with the progressive status quo in Latin and South America, they immediately say, well, it's not Trump. And I Think that that's a little bit unfair, but the policies that Malay is pushing the Republican Party's behind because they want to see him be successful. But when you look at when you look at him, and let's let's play the video. He basically wants to get rid of half the government. Was yeah. sort of what he was campaigning on. Watch. Well, the first thing we have to understand is that the state is not the solution. The state is the problem. Ministry of Tourism and Sports. Out. Culture Ministry. Out. Ministry of Environment and Sustainable Development. Out. Ministry of Women and Gender Diversity. Out. Ministry of Public Works. Out. Even if you resist. Even if you resist. Even if you resist. <laughs> I mean, he's running on essentially a what sounds like it's not just a, a Trump agenda. It sounds like an RNC agenda. Everybody is all, all about having limited government and removing certain programs, specifically um, destroying certain aspects of government. Uh, and I think that once you have a population that is upset because of rising cost of inflation, that is upset because the cost of living is astronomical, it creates a environment that makes it very easy for people like this to step up. The, the are crazy you talking hair, about the Argent- Michael Landon about Argentina or the U.S. there because you could talk about inflation and rising yeah. costs and that's why Our inflation I, has nothing in comparison I mean, I mean yeah they're at 140%, 140% percent yeah, inflation yeah. but the point is is these people are willing to try anything new in the status quo something so, has to change there particularly with China bearing down their throats that's what's happening in South America and Latin do you America think, Bob do you think there's any any parallel here the, the political scientists said Argentines voted with two big emotions many were angry many were afraid uh, no, well, listen, when I first interviewed Trump in 2015 at Trump Tower, he said he was basically, there's a lot of anger out there. And what he did, he's tapping into that anger. I agree with Ford that not every leader is exactly like Trump. But these leaders learn something from yeah. Trump. And that's why Trump is going to be written about for hundreds of years. 
And certain leaders are mimicking him, and some are better than others. They learned to take advantage of they learned to take advantage of populations that want to see change. They've learned to take advantage of economic structures that no longer work for a large percentage of their population. That's not Trumpism. That is exactly what dictators did since the dawn of time. Trump adapted his models from that, and they feel like what we're going to see across the globe is more more people doing he's, the exact same thing. He's also a television personality, yeah. and whether it is uh, Zelensky in Ukraine, Trump in the United States. Mm. Uh, the the age of celebrity politicians around the globe uh, is upon us, and it's very hard to get famous these right. days uh, in, in with with wide appeal. So maybe this is an communication thing skills are the most paramount in politics, and that's why you're seeing the similarity. The Rock 2024 <laughs> Democrats look out. You mentioned television personality. I am not running. No no desire. <laughs> no want. You'd be very Never, good ever. though. You'd be very uh, good all right. Coming up, is there a major flip happening with one part of the electorate? Brand new numbers out that could have major implications on next November. So is it a one-off or is it a trend? Steyerwald breaks it down. Plus, did Donald Trump really believe at one point just last year, just last year, that a special election could be on the horizon to get him back into the White House? We'll talk with one of our colleagues who's reporting that that was indeed the case. Stay with us. The Hill on News Nation returns in a few. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So as Americans prepare to share what they are thankful for this week, a new poll from NBC News, probably not on the president's list. News Nation's Chris Starwalt is here to break it down. Chris? If I had to choose one poll, okay. other than, of course, our delicious, fantastic uh, poll for News Nation from Decision Desk HQ, uh, the NBC News poll is, uh, it is so good. Uh, Republicans, Democrats, we pay a lot of attention to it. Uh, when uh, this comes out, and it told us something interesting. But first, I want to get you in the Wayback Machine for one second. Early on, long time ago, we told you about how support among Arab Americans and Muslim American voters could hurt Joe Biden in Michigan, just for your frame of reference. That was 16% support among those voters in Michigan. Michigan is a state that Joe Biden only won by about 140,000 votes in 2020. It was going to be a big deal. But would it have broader implications? Dun, dun, dun. Here is what here are the broader implications. Here is the support for uh, Joe Biden's handling of the Israeli uh, Israel Hamas war among Democrats. Only 51 percent. That's really bad. Right. Because in your own party, you want to see 70 percent, 80 percent kind of numbers. And then when you know that all and this is mostly driven by younger voters, mostly driven by the 18 to 34. Then when you add in the Republicans who almost entirely uh, disapprove of anything Joe Biden does, if Joe Biden pardons a turkey, uh, the Republicans will say he should have put it to death. What do, uh, so you put it together, what do you get? That's how you get a 56% disapproval rating in his handling on this war because only 51% of uh, Democrats are with him, which leaves him high and dry, which leads us to the next thing, which is, map. 44-46. It's the first time in this poll that Joe Biden has trailed Donald Trump. Uh, it's the it's his lowest approval rating in the poll. And it's all driven, not all, but almost all driven by disaffection within his own party. Uh, and when we think about what that dis- disaffection is and why those younger voters are falling away, this war, I've never really seen anything exactly like this. To have a foreign policy uh, event intervene in an election uh, in the electorate in this way and the way that it is driven down younger support. But I want you to listen to this. If you hate America, if you want to abolish Israel, if you 
sympathize with jihadists and then you don't want your country to do well. You're just not going to get in. You're not getting in. You're not coming into our country. So how do you think that those young Democrats are going to feel if it is a binary choice uh, between Joe Biden and Donald Trump? Do you think that they will still be as hard on Joe Biden when Donald Trump is talking about uh, banning Muslim immigrants, da-da-da-da-da? Here's some evidence that tells us the real story here. Against any generic Republican candidate, Joe Biden does terribly. <laughs> he does 37 to 48. The bottom absolutely drops out. Compare that. Oh, wait, we've moved way ahead in our uh, in our line. This is the big reveal for the end. This is about Jewish voters. And we will eventually get there. But I want you to first see what happens to Trump. There we go. So look at what happens. So the difference there between how Biden does against a generic Republican and how Trump does against a generic Democrat. Takeaway here, Trump's a bigger drag on Republicans than Biden is on Democrats. Trump is underperforms Republic, other Republicans, uh, and it's pretty tough. But I want you to also remember this. That's that last poll that we just showed you early, which is how Jewish voters support Joe Biden. I would just want to remind everybody when we talk about this stuff about younger voters, Arab voters and all this stuff, there are a lot of Jewish voters in the United States. There are more than six million Jewish adults in America. They happen to live in places like Pennsylvania. They happen to live in places like Florida. While there is a significant Muslim vote, Joe Biden is probably making the correct calculation that in time support for Israel redounds to his benefit more than his disadvantage. And that's Steyerwalt breaking it down. Uh, so... You're saying that by the, in, in a year from now, with, with more Jewish voters... So Joe Biden has a Michigan problem, potentially. He's got a Michigan yep. problem. He's got a young voter problem. Yep. yep. But you're saying five, six million, give or take, uh, Jewish voters. Those young voters, the, the younger voters who are right now like, man, Joe Biden, he's the worst. He's old and he's too pro-Israel and all that stuff. That's him versus stuff Barack Obama's saying or stuff that they read online, not him versus Donald Trump. And if they if you think that that these young voters are dissatisfied with Joe Biden on his handling of Israel and his treatment of Muslim Americans, wait till they put that into context with Donald Trump. And the other thing is not to take anything away from the one point one million or so Muslim or Arab American voters in the United States. The number of Jewish voters dwarfs that. Right. We're talking five, six fold larger numbers. And also those Jewish voters happen to be in places like Pennsylvania and Florida. And they carry a lot of clout. But I think that um, that negates looking back at the voters who are sympathetic to the Palestinian plight, who may not identify as Muslim or Arab. Right. Um, I say that because a lot of the younger voters, a lot of the black population, a lot of diverse groups do. And that doesn't mean that they are anti Jewish support. That doesn't mean that they're anti-Israel. They are anti-watching what appears to be war crimes being committed. They are anti the leveling of hospitals. They are anti-attacking critical infrastructure where innocent people are dying in droves. That is what is driving these numbers. And I, I agree with you to a point on um, when you put those same younger voters and people of color uh, in, in a question about Donald Trump, because I don't see them automatically shifting to their to massive support for Donald Trump. But Biden has a very interesting role to, or needle to thread here because younger voters, black voters specifically, diverse voters are the Democratic base. That's You've got a huge problem. The 2020 of. election was decided by a few thousand votes in a certain, in a whole bunch of states. If he loses any 1% of any one of the groups we're talking about, he's done as a candidate. We know it's going to be Biden and Trump now. We don't know which third parties. The big stat in there, Chris, that you didn't mention, 
with 63% of independents disapprove of Joe Biden. Some exciting news here at News Nation. Of course, our debate uh, is coming up December 6th, and we'll be right back. I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. Please have snow. Right now, all over the country, kids at Shriners Hospitals for Children are able to go home and be with their families for the holidays. And it's only possible because of the monthly support of people just like you. When you call the number on your screen today and just give $19 a month, you'll be helping countless children get the care they need to go home for Christmas. With your gift of just $19 a month, only 63 cents a day, we'll send you this adorable Love to the Rescue Blanket as a thank you. And a reminder of the care you'll be providing so kids can be with their families. Christmas Eve will find me Where the love light gleams It only takes a moment to call the number on your screen. Or you can visit loveshriners.org right now on your phone or computer to help other kids just like these be with their families this Christmas. Because every child just wants to be home for the holidays, and your gift makes that possible. Your call is the best gift of all. Your gift will be my favorite Christmas present this year. Thank you for giving. Please call the number on your screen or go online right now with your monthly gift. If operators are busy, please call again or go to loveshriners.org to give whatever you can. We're standing up for our right to be lazy. Not literally, of course. We work hard. We deserve to scroll hard. It's the Black Friday sale. Great deals on recliners, sofas, sectionals, and more. Plus 0% interest until 2027. We've earned our lazy time. What she said... Hurry in. Black Friday sale going on now. Lazy Boy. Long live the lazy. <gasps> there he is. It's right there. Oh, he's straight ahead. He's straight ahead. Go, go, go. Cover more ground in the Kia Sportage Turbo Hybrid. Kia, movement that inspires. Red Lobster's new lobster and shrimp celebration. We got tails, shrimp, waiters, potatoes, sauces, and bosses, cheddar bear stuff, and no blood. Three lobster and shrimp entrees for a limited time. If I would have kept making only the minimum payments on my credit cards, my debt would have taken me 47 years to pay off. Whether it's credit card, medical, or personal loan debt, National Debt Relief negotiates with your creditors to reduce the amount you owe. National Debt Relief reduced my debt by about 40%. And you could be debt-free in as little as 24 to 48 months. Call or visit nationaldebtrelief.com to find out how you can become debt-free. Icy hot. 
Ice works fast. Heat makes it last. Feel the power of contrast therapy. So you can rise from pain. Icy hot. I just want to say that I watch you a lot, and I'm grateful that you're there. You add so much value to this job and this position. I've watched you more now than ever before. News Nation is very, very lucky to have you. Hello? All right, welcome back to the Hill. Uh, so did you see this over the weekend? SpaceX's Starship rocket, the largest ever built, took off over the weekend in its second ever test flight. That's the video right there. Uh, the rocket made it through booster separation, but there was a, quote, rapid unscheduled disassembly. Now, shortly thereafter, uh, the scientific way essentially means it blew up. Now, SpaceX did, however, call it a successful launch as Starship did make it deeper into the skies, this time compared to last, and because of what they learned from the explosion. Who do I have here? Chris Steyerwalt, you with me, brother? I haven't seen uh, an Elon Musk venture, uh, an Elon Musk launch fail this badly since Ron DeSantis uh, put his campaign on Twitter. That was, uh, that was, that was, that was, very, it was very unfortunate. Uh, and uh, what I have to wonder with Musk, basically, is this. He plays an extraordinarily important role in not only the American economy, thanks to Tesla, but also in our national space program and in all of the, the these have national defense implications. They have these other things. As Musk continues to operate in a pretty weird space, right? There's seems like every other day there's a controversy around anti-Semitic speech or something else. Uh, when weird stuff, when you're acting weird and then uh, unfortunate things are happening on the corporate side, I wonder at what point does he sort of run out of road? Yeah. Speaking of weird stuff, is this just me and you right now? I think it's just us. But you know what? Um, I, I think <laughs> pound for pound, uh, you know, I match up to the rest of the panel. Uh, Cusack is pretty big, but <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think I can do it. I think I can, I think I can carry this. All right, so hang out with me and Chris here for a little bit uh, as we talk some Elon Musk. Um, you know, here, here was something, uh, a headline in the New York Times that caught my attention, Chris. I'm sure maybe you saw it. Quote, the White House may condemn Musk, but the government is addicted to him. Rarely has the U.S. government so depended on technology provided by a single technologist with views that it has so publicly declared repugnant. Now, this is part of the issue relying on, on Elon Musk, is it not, right? Like, obviously, he has uh, SpaceX, which we just saw. Uh, he has Tesla, which we see all over our roads. But I think more important than that, potentially, is Starlink. Uh, and I think that's, that's the, the, the reason why, or at least one of the reasons why, we've seen this play a role in Ukraine. China doesn't necessarily like Starlink uh, because it can essentially act as a workaround to, to technological crackdowns, right? So, so this one man has all this power, but... When you see the, the post that he made, the anti-Semitic post in which he um, agreed with essentially an anti-Semitic post, it goes to show sort of the issue and the box that the White House and others are put in. If you rely on one person, those kinds of things it sort of exposes you to, or, or, or lots of things relying on one different person. I think Americans love the idea of a Thomas Edison. Americans love the idea of the great inventor, uh, the the great industrialist that can do these things, that can work these miracles. But of course, in time, we then sour on those people, right? Uh, We grow frustrated with them when they are found to be only too human. And for Musk, 
Uh, he has, right? So he went from this sort of enfant terrible, this young guy who was doing all this stuff and breaking the way that we did things. And he was a darling of the left, the Mr. Electric Car, uh, Mr. Innovator. And as his politics changed and as he moved across the political spectrum and ultimately uh, as he got to Twitter, uh, the attitudes changed. And I just don't think that it works uh, to be as controversial as Musk has been for as long as he has been and as he is so dependent on government largesse, both in the United States and in China. Since this is just me and you right now, you want to talk about Musk or OpenAI? Have you seen what's going on with OpenAI, Chris? I, I might just make the call myself here. Have you seen the OpenAI story? It's Do wild. it. Do it? Um, all right, so one of the more bipartisan issues in the U.S. lately has been the need to understand AI, artificial intelligence, right? Both Democrats, Republicans, they have held briefings to discuss what should be done to ensure safety with the emerging technology. But now, this all just, this, this escalated within like the last 24 hours here. There is a revolt mm-hmm. within one of the most prominent companies in the industry. Employees at OpenAI are now threatening to quit. I think it's like six, 600 out of the 700 or so. Uh, because the CEO, Sam, Sam Altman, he was let go, fired. He has since been hired by Microsoft to lead its own AI team. All this uh, begging concerns about the the safety of AI and the role of regulation in its future. So basically, uh, the top uh, scientist at the company was concerned that, you know what, maybe we're going a little bit too fast. Uh, Maybe we're trying to put profits over safety. And there was this, uh, the the board basically said, you know what, Um, you're out, you're gone. And now there is this revolt uh, within OpenAI as it relates to Sam Altman and what happens next? I, th- I think the idea uh, when Americans were introduced relatively recently to the concept of uh, generative, generative AI and, and large language models and all of those things which were not part of our common parlance uh, even just a year ago, right? This is a, this is a new innovation and there was wide panic, right? Big overreaction, lots of anxieties right. about what's going to happen. I think what we're seeing is that this is a market that is in its infancy and it's going to evolve. To evolve. There's going to be lots of competition. Microsoft's going to make its play. So-and-so is going to make their play. Google is working hard to catch up so that it can keep its dominant position uh, in the search world. This is not monolithic and uh, inside one artificial intelligence. And it's certainly not done. This is just the beginning of a radical change to the way the technology works, but we're only at the very beginning. All right. Have you read Jonathan Carl's book on Donald Trump, Chris? I'm getting into it. Or seen it. You're getting into it? Yeah. Coming up uh, after the break. Yeah, yeah. It's look, our colleague Jonathan Carl, ABC News, um, he was uh he's written a new book, and we will uh, talk to Jonathan Carl uh, right after the break. Stay with us. No, never mind. They're telling me to, to keep going. This is the Chris and Blake show. I um, so while campaigning in Iowa this weekend, I think we're going forward. Donald Trump hit both Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, but he increasingly is aiming more of his fire at President Biden. Many recent polls show him with a slight edge over Biden in a general election rematch. Trump is already telegraphing some of the controversial positions he will enact if he wins re-election. So how did Trump become such a dominant force within the Republican Party? 
ABC News uh, Chief Washington Correspondent, best-selling author Jonathan Carl, takes us behind the scenes of how Trump remade the GOP in his new book, Tired of Winning, Donald Trump and the End of the Grand Old Party. I talked with Jonathan uh, just a little while ago. Take a look. Jonathan Carl. Good to see you. Hey, great to be here. Yeah, norm- normally we would do this at the White House, but we're, we're here on set doing it. Uh, tired of winning Donald Trump and the end of the grand old party is the book. There's a lot of focus on the end of the, the Trump administration, the, the Trump term, and of course, January 6th. Uh, we saw the tapes released the other day. I want to play something, one of your interviews with President yeah. Trump, right? Yeah. And you'll describe it on the other side. Yeah. I was thinking about going back during the problem to stop the problem, doing it myself. Secret Service didn't like that idea too much. So, so what? And I could so, have done that, and you know what? I would have been very well received. Don't forget, the people that went to Washington that day, in my opinion, they went because they thought the election was rigged. What are we hearing there? I mean, so, so this was an interview that I did with Trump uh, shortly after he left office, March of 2021, and he was telling me. Uh, about how what a wonderful day January 6th was. Um, and I reported pretty extensively on all of that in my previous book, right. Trail. But the thing that stands out to me now that didn't stand out in the same way back then is where he says that if he had gone back to the Capitol, if he had gone up to the Capitol, as you remember, he said in the speech, mm-hmm. we're going to march to the right. Capitol and I'm going to come with mm-hmm. you. Um, I didn't believe it. I don't think many people believed it. That seemed to be a bravado, bravado in a speech. And then the January 6th committee came forward with Cassidy Hutchinson right. testifying that dramatic scene in The Beast where he was getting angry with the Secret Former Service. Former top aide to the president. Yes, uh, Mark Meadows. Yep. And, and, and we learned in detail that Trump, in fact, did want to go to the Capitol and was pushed back by the Secret Service. But the line in there that takes this further is he says, and I would have been very well received, I mm. can tell you that. So he's saying if he had gone back during the problem, right. the assault on the building, he would have been well received because those were his supporters. So it's an acknowledgement that and, he could have done something to stop. And it. he tried to do, he tried to go multiple times, right? Yes. Well, that's what he says there. So we we know uh, you know Cassidy Hutchinson describes very in, in very detail, very much detail, and there and other other testimony as well that right after his speech he wanted to immediately go up. But what he is saying there is in addition. He wanted to go up after he got back to the right. Oval Office in the in the uh, in his you know dining room, right. and he saw the riot unfolding. And what about this from from Mo Brooks, uh, former congressman? Uh, he, speaking of Donald Trump, asked me to publicly state that Donald Trump should be allowed to move back into the White House, reinstated as president. Asked me to publicly call for a special election for the presidency of the United States. There was a lot of of rumblings that Trump was trying to do stuff like this, but there you hear it from from Alabama's own. The amazing thing about that is that that conversation that Mo Brooks is recounting happened in March of 2022, in March of last year. Hmm. So Joe Biden had already been president. He had been sworn in at the Capitol. He had already served in office for over a year. And Trump was still was believing this this crazy theory that he could actually be reinstated as president. Not after our next election, but immediately. And he was demanding Mo Brooks do that. Mo Brooks told me he refused to do it. Trump then withdrew his endorsement. You know, Brooks had been running for Senate in Alabama. And I said, do you think Trump really believed he could have been uh, reinstated? And Brooks, who was a hardcore Trump supporter, as hardcore as any of them, uh, said, I certainly hope not, because if he was, he had lost touch with any all bounds of reality. Hmm. Um, 
a second term. Let's just live under the assumption. You know, you see the same polling that I do, right? Yeah. It's it's he's probably going to be uh, the Republican nominee. If there is a, a second Trump term based off of your reporting, you've talked to him after the fact, we all hear and see what he says and does. What do you think it looks like? Well, first of all, I, I think that in some ways, January 6th, which was the end of his of his presidency, would be basically a starting point for a for a second Trump presidency. I think that he is. Uh, becomes more divorced from reality. I mean, witness the way he latched onto some of those conspiracy theories. Uh, and there are others that I document in the book. I, I have a chapter in the book called Dark Days at Mar-a-Lago, hmm. describing in detail, talking to a lot of people very close to him, what it was like when he returned as a defeated uh, president to Mar-a-Lago, the kind of people he was seeing, the stuff he was saying, because he had largely disappeared from public view. You know, he wasn't out there doing interviews. Right. He wasn't out there doing public events. And, and, and it's, he, he became, you know, he was certainly embittered and angry, uh, but he, he started really fixating on conspiracy theories. So, one, so I think the Trump himself is different, but the biggest difference is those people that were around him when he was president, you and I covered that White House uh, mm-hmm. together, and mm-hmm. it was a, you know, we saw, we, we saw that there were people like John Kelly as chief of staff, even Reince Priebus as chief of staff. Um, did, we saw people like General Mattis uh, right. as, as defense secretary, uh, Pat Cipollone, Don McGahn, a White House counsel office. There were people serious around pros. who were very serious people who tried to keep him from going off the rails. Right. None of those people are around him anymore, and uh, his people have made it clear they don't want those people around anymore. Right. It's, they want loyalists, people that are totally and thoroughly loyal to Donald Trump. Well, Trump. we've talked about on this show, if he were to become the president, who would he get through as his, as his attorney general, who could be Senate-confirmed? And there's there are questions, to your point, about stuff like that and and yes absolutely and and what a second term might look like um we got to leave it there do you want to cover a second term (laughs) (laughs) i i i I, I think i may be a little busy uh uh i i i don't think that we'll be i mean you go you'll go back i'll be i'll be be here yeah yeah. you got your show too no i I think i think we'll stick around thank you good to see you blake you too our friend jonathan carl of abc news his new book out as well chris uh what'd you make of, of what you heard from from jonathan there well, look, the, Trump is a better, does better with voters the less he is around. Uh, th- this is true for Joe Biden. This was true for Hillary Clinton. Uh, this is true of a lot of politicians in America today. The less people think about them, the better it, uh, better it goes for them with voters. And Trump has sort of turned into wallpaper. He's there in the background. He's always on trial or something. He's always saying something. But he's not on Twitter, and he's not the president, and he's not really giving that many policy speeches or actually really campaigning that much. And what Carl lays out here, and your question for him was exactly the right one, which is, as this gets closer to the real thing, as Trump moves closer, we're just, you know, uh, 70 days away or something from uh, the uh, first caucuses and primaries. Uh, As it gets closer and voters start to think about the reality of what a Trump term would look like, uh, that probably helps Democrats pretty substantially. All right. Uh, stay with us here on the Hill on News Nation. We'll be right back. December 6th, the News Nation Republican primary debate. Sirius XM's Megyn Kelly, News Nation's Elizabeth Vargas, and the Washington Free Beacon's Eliana Johnson moderate a live primetime event Wednesday, December 6th. On- For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Medicare is encouraged to call. Call now and a licensed insurance agent can look up your plan and see if there are any changes to your current plan in the upcoming year. Call now during the Medicare annual enrollment period. Part C plans can change every year. Don't wait. Call before the Medicare annual enrollment period ends on December 7th for your free, no obligation, 2024 Medicare benefits review. Call 800-956-1502. All right, welcome back. So as the war has been raging between Israel and Hamas, there have been 64 attacks against U.S. forces since October 17th. Kelly Meyer uh, has been following this at the White House today. They have been asked about this. Kelly, uh, come on in. What are they saying over there at 1600 Penn? Well, Blake, the U.S. uh, continues to say that our deterrence efforts are working, but there have been more and more critics coming out and saying that clearly it's not. As you said, today we're seeing 64 attacks on U.S. forces in the Middle East. The number is 30 separate times in Iraq and 34 separate times in Syria. This is by a mix of one-way attack drones and rockets. The U.S. has responded now three times over the last month. All of those strikes were in Syria, but many have come out, including some of the Defense Department, saying that the U.S. needs to do more. But the Biden administration is really walking this fine line between retaliation and escalation. And we were also hearing in the White House press briefing today questions around, you know, the White House involvement in uh, trying to prevent a wider war, especially between Israel and Hezbollah in Lebanon, in the north, and a front on the north there. They're saying that they don't want to see this conflict widen. There is a concern that the U.S. can be pulled into this and that Israel is trying to provoke Hezbollah in order to get this conflict to grow. Israel denies that, and the U.S. says they continue to make sure that this conflict doesn't widen. Blake? Kelly, this had been had been one and then half a dozen, a dozen. Now you're talking 64. I mean, we're, that, that's making your way to triple digits. How did it escalate like this? Yeah. You know, it just, that's the big question. And that's the question that we really had for the president last week uh, when we were there in San Francisco as he was urging President Xi to talk to Iran for us to urge them not to take steps to escalate this. The big question is, is U.S. deterrence working? Clearly, many are saying it's not because they continue to attack us. The biggest concern here is when is it going to be a moment where we've we've seen 60 U.S. service members with minor injuries, but when comes the time where we may sadly lose the life of a service member? Uh, How can we prevent that from happening? And so far, we haven't been able to stop Iran and Iran-backed forces from continuing to attack us. Kelly Meyer, live at the White House for us. Kelly, thank you. Uh, Chris Steyerwalt, come on back in if you're still there. I think you are. Um, You've been listening to some of what Kelly said, and I think that sort of illustrates some of the decisions uh, that the commander-in-chief currently has to make. You see attack after attack, but yet at least no no large-scale visible public response. Well, obviously, a war with Iran, uh, a broader conflagration here, nobody wants that, right? Uh, that's that's not what anybody's looking for. But I will say this. These attacks continue to strengthen Biden's hand 
when it comes to dealing with Hamas, dealing with the threats against Israel, that when there are U.S. resources, U.S. assets that are caught up in this, uh, not because we involve them, not because we've deployed them, but because of Iran and because of their targeting, it strengthens the argument for domestic politics. You heard John Kirby at the White House today giving his briefing, just lacerating reporters who are trying to accuse Biden of, you know, supporting a, a genocidal regime or whatever uh, in Israel. Uh, the, that I think you will continue to see that line strengthen, uh, especially as there are U.S. forces that are at risk. All right. Well, before we say goodbye, here is a story that caught our eye. Busy day at the White House, as you might imagine. The First Lady Jill Biden welcomed the White House Christmas tree earlier today. Now, the tree comes from a family-owned nursery in the state of North Carolina. This was also hours after President Biden pardoned the Thanksgiving turkeys, Liberty and Bell, who were named after the, of course, the Pennsylvania Monument. So you can see the First Lady there with the Christmas tree. Uh, you can see the President of the United States there with one of the turkeys. I don't know, Chris, both of these on the same day. It's too close. It's too close. It's too much. We, can, we, we, need, a, we need some distance, America. <laughs> keep your candy corn out of my stuffing and keep your stuffing uh, out of my eggnog.